Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. My name is Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. But uh, very excited to have Michelle Lavalle here joining us to talk about top grading, something that's super important for the community today, because we all know how challenging talent and retention has been over the last couple of years. Um, So for those who are not familiar with Michelle, Focus, strategic thinking, and valuing talent are the cornerstones of her coaching practice. And as a certified top grading coach and international talent advisor, Michelle supports global executives to improve their ability to spot and keep talent while progressing towards the placement of 90% A players across the organization. She has 20 years of experience and uh, as an A top grading champion since 2016, or excuse me, 2006, She's supported dozens of international companies to achieve at least 85% A players in the midst of rapid growth and conducted over 1,600 top grading interviews across multiple uh, industries. So very excited to have uh, Michelle here today to talk about hiring in today's complex talent environment. Welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today? I am calling in from Southern Chile. (laughs) Very nice. Thank you so much for... uh, for being here with us. And I want to jump right in. I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about, you know, this world of recruiting and hiring has changed so much over the last few years. I'm wondering how top grading has evolved, if at all, and kind of changed to meet the market needs of of today. That's a great question, Alex. And thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining. You know, one of the reasons why I love top grading and I've been using it for so long is that it's a methodology that just works um, regardless of language, culture, industry, size of company. And so I haven't found in these last few years or so that the methodology has changed as much as the market has changed. Um, And so I've been coaching more of my folks on how to, for example, speed up their process and look for ways that we can get more efficient with you know, from resume selection to job offer, how can we really measure each step of that process and make sure that we're moving quickly? So, you know, beyond using some automated technology online to help screen resumes, there's a tool for that with the top grading uh, group. The methodology has been pretty steady and true and has not, in my opinion, needed to change, uh, even with some of the challenges we've seen in the last two, three years. Um, I'm curious, you know, if top grading hasn't changed, although the market has significantly changed, what makes yeah. top grading like so consistent and effective yeah. in you know any market? Absolutely. I, I'm I love these questions, Alex. Thank you. So I I believe working with a lot of entrepreneurs and and scaling up companies and small and medium businesses, there's often a lack of structure and the top mistake, if you want to call it that, or just learning curve out there is we don't have a reliable structure by which to follow the entire recruiting or onboarding process. And we're never looking for anything too complicated. There's actually quite a bit of flexibility in top grading, but the key is whomever is hiring or making people decisions, we've got to facilitate interviews consistently. For example, if we just talk about the interview for a second, 
again, too often out there, we have very random different ways in which to interview. And your candidate even may be wondering like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> Everyone's different. And, and it's okay to bring, of course, our personalities to the table. We have to do that. We have to be ourselves. But the, the, the nut and the bolt of it is we need to follow consistent questions. Um, and that's why it works uh, among many other reasons. There's a lot of tools that we could talk about that support top grading today. But ultimately, in my experience, it's the interview. Um, once we have candidates that are at the table and they're interested in your role and your company, it's so critical that we facilitate the interview in a manner that allows us to get really great information and specific examples. And another way to put this is we should be an anchor in our interviews. So consistent with how we present ourselves and ask questions and ask follow-up questions and listen um, so that the, the A's, the B's and the C players, they just show up so consistently. And Alex, I'll add something there just briefly. When we're talking about top grading and A, B, and C players, we are never, ever talking about good versus bad people. We're, we're talking about the, the people leader or the decision maker being skilled enough to assess talent accurately. You know, there, there's so much going on in the interview. There's so much information that can be coming to you. Um, what we need to be sure of is that we're, we're very consistent in how we approach recruiting and top grading gives us the structure, especially for entrepreneurs and scaling up companies um, that we can follow and start to see just immediate improvement. It's just amazing. Um, yeah. So I, I could go on and on, Alex, but let me pause there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that's super interesting. And I'm, I'm curious with like the flexibility that you're able to put into the top grading process, there's 12 steps of top grading. Yeah. So like, are there steps... Is it just that that top grading interview is like the most essential and the other 12 steps can be mod or the other 11 steps can be modified or what does that look yeah. like in the great modification question. process, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. There's of the 12 steps that are, there are a couple that are, um, they're almost secular. So the talent review is, it is very much secular. There's a talent review that you'll see in the very beginning of the 12 steps that talks about getting your baseline. So first and foremost, finding out who do you have on the team today and how are they doing? Um, and then at the end of that 12 step, you do it again. So um, there's a little bit of a repeat there. I am often teaching just six steps and it, it starts with the talent review. And then we go to a screening interview. If we really like the candidate, the, we go to the, the deep dive or top grading interview um, naturally. But at this point, we've got another key step and that's creating and finalizing your job scorecard. And if all of those things go well, then we go to our reference calls and then we, we bring our candidate on board. Now, that's the mini version. Um, I find that those steps are the most critical to get right first. Uh, from there, you can add some other steps like that. Let's talk about the career history for, form. The, there's a career history form that you can send to your candidates and have them fill that up first before you take them to a top grade interview. That's awesome. In today's market, I worry a little bit about, you know, some of that talent out there having all these opportunities in front of them, even your most talented candidates, are they going to slow down long enough and fill that online? That's one question. Secondly, do our, do our hiring managers know how to use that form? 
Um, I'm, but I, Alex, I'm all about implementation. I'm an operations gal. So I always think of, are we going to end up doing something that scares the candidate away? For example, if I've got this career history form, six pages with all this information, and then I take the candidate into a top grading interview, and if I'm busy studying that form and, and trying to connect dots without really connecting with the candidate, that could be a bit off-putting. So that's that's an area that it is optional. We don't have to do that. But what we do have to do is run a really great top grading interview um, that is engaging and allows you to get great information. Another example of a step, and I'll turn it back to you, that I, I personally do not use that often, and that's the, the competency-based interview um, and or the focused interview. Now, I'll clarify, if we follow the steps through and, and you know, prior to COVID or even now, it, it's it's very much the same. If you meet a candidate and you, after the top grading interview, you're really, really um, excited about them. You think you got an A player. The next step is usually to get them on site um, and or take them out to lunch and or have a, a, a virtual Zoom meeting. But you want to give the candidate some time to meet other people and to ask more questions or to see the office. You know, that that next step is really making sure that your candidate has all the information they need. Now, you could call that a competency interview discussion. You could call it a focus discussion, but it's it's really around ensuring that you're you're selling the opportunity, you're selling the company and that the, the candidate has everything they need to make a great decision and get excited about joining you. Um, so there are some things that you can choose to step over um, and come back to later. There are, <clears throat> excuse me, some things that you cannot miss. And one is a job scorecard before you start recruiting, getting really, really clear about what's the job, how do we measure success, and, and what are some of those top critical competencies that we must have to be successful in the role. And then from there, doing your screening interview, your top rating interview, and your reference call interview to be sure that you've got all the data points you need to make a great decision. That's great. Thank you. So I'm, I'm curious also that competency in your interview or focus interview, that also be seen as like a culture interview? Do you, are there places for like culture fit interviews or where does that fit in the top rating process? Great question. Usually the the culture interview, I mean, it's it's kind of ongoing, you know, like we're assessing cultural fit, much like we're assessing result fit um, throughout the whole process. But usually the, the culture check is right up front in the screening interview. When you're talking with someone, whether it's 30 minutes or 90 minutes, by following the questions and, and being consistent, um, you should be able to hear the cultural points that are most important to your company, you know, the demonstration of core values. Are they a team player? Are they honest? Do they have good energy and drive? Are they smart? Are they? Do they have that figure it out gene? You can start to pick up on those patterns for sure in the screening interview. In the deep dive interview, you're definitely going to pick that up. But to your question, yes, the, the competency-based interviews or the cultural discussions, that's a, that's a really great place to put that part of the process after your top grading interview. Again, just to let more of the future colleagues or future direct reports meet with the candidate and let the candidate ask more questions to you. Um, and, and in doing so, you're, you're going to be able to confirm that cultural fit. Yeah, and I know that, that top grading is a big proponent of 
like tandem interviews, multiple people yeah. doing interviews together. Is that for all of the interviews? Is that for one specific interview? How does that like teamwork kind of play into it? And I guess also, why is the tandem so important to the top grading process? Yeah, great question. You know, that's one of those places where there's a little bit of flexibility. Um, I'll start with the second part of that. So the tandem partner is critical because it it's actually pretty simple. It, it's the concept of two heads are better than one. Um, and if you're in a top grading interview, again, there's a lot going on here. You're you're asking very straightforward questions. You're keeping a friendly rapport. You're taking lots of notes. You're listening carefully. You're diving deep. Um, you're answering the qu candidates' questions. So by having a partner, it actually makes that job a lot easier. Uh, they can help you follow up. They can help you listen. They can help you take notes, um, you know, keep that friendly rapport going. And then more importantly, after you finish your interview together with your tandem partner, you can start doing the competency assessment and talking to each other. Do we have a great fit? Are there any gaps? Are they coachable gaps? Um, do we have any concerns? And it it really speeds up your ability to set, assess accurately because you've got different perspectives. Um, and you're helping each other avoid any bias that you may have with regards to your role or your experience and all that good stuff. The What we have found is by having a tandem partner, you can actually increase your success rate by 25% just overnight. You know, So instead of me making an assessment on my own, um, which prior to top grading, that might only give me a 25% success rate, by having a partner, we find that you'll immediately increase your success rate uh, by 50%. So to the first part, the flexibility, you know, I have some clients that will insist that even the screening interview, uh, which could be 30 minutes for an entry level, 90 minutes for a C-suite level, they want to have those tandem partners in there right up front, because again, it's going to usually increase their speed um, and decrease the, the time that we're spending with any B or C players, for example. Um, in the deep dive or the top grading interview, that's where we really must have a partner. As I said, there's there's just so much going on and it helps a lot, especially if you're new to top grading. Um, but I want to move to recruiting um, and what you've seen as the most effective ways to recruit A player talent in, in this market. Yeah, great one. Yeah, this is another one of the, the steps of the methodology that has not changed uh, over the years. And it's it's funny because it it's one of those that I, I find can be a little bit awkward. And naturally, you know, we, we tend to shy away from wanting to do this. However, the best way to find your A players is through your A player network. So there's some really straightforward steps you can take. For example, just getting out a sheet of paper and saying, for this CTO role uh, or this director of engineering role that I need to hire, who do I know that's an A player that I trust and admire that might know of some engineers or a CTO for me? And, and who do I know that's one of those connectors, like my buddy Charlie in Singapore, he's one of those folks that just, he just loves connecting people. He's really good at, at networking and staying in touch. And, and just make a little list, you know, 10 folks that you know you and trust are A players, and then maybe five or 10 people that you know that are connectors and have everyone on your leadership team do this. And then talk to them about the jobs that you have open and ask them for their help. Um, pick up the phone, you know, make a commitment to spend 15, 20 minutes a week 
um, to just pick up the phone and ask people if they're aware of anyone looking for these really cool engineering roles or the CTO roles. So it's truly about the best practice is about activating your network. And it doesn't mean that you have to know everyone. It means that you've got to put in a little bit of structure at your company and create a culture where referrals are important, where you track them and you see if they're happening and you encourage them. And you will just be amazed. It, 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 I think it says this in the book, um, the faster you ask, the faster you find. The more you ask, the, the faster you find. And I see that happen over and over and over again. And it's just wonderful because your A players know how to spot A players for you. So talk to them and brainstorm with them about how you can get more referrals going. Before we go, any you know last piece of advice or things that you think the, the community really needs to be aware of as we you know, move into a new year where hiring is going to remain a challenging, yeah. you know, aspect of running and growing a business. Right. That's that's great. You know, honestly, Alex, the the number one skill set that needs to improve is the interview skill. Uh, and so, I would encourage everyone to talk with your teams about how is your interview structured today. Is it too long? Is it working? What questions are your colleagues following? Um, are you using hypothetical questions as opposed to reality-based questions? And that, you know, you can have a great job scorecard. You can have all kinds of candidates coming your way. Uh, you can have a lot of wonderful things going on. If we don't run the interview well, we can still have a lot of mishires because we're not interpreting what we're hearing accurately. Uh, so that would be my number one advice is take a look at the questions in the book Talk with your team about how to ensure you've got a nice structure that works at a good pace, but is not too fast, not too slow. And then begin observing one another as tandem partners on your interviews to, to be sure that you're constantly improving the ability to be so consistent that your A's and your B's and your C's, they just, it's just night and day how, how your candidates will show up for you if your interview is facilitated well and, and super consistent. <laughs> So I actually have one last question for you, if you don't mind. I'm curious, you just mentioned hypothetical questions versus reality-based questions. Can you just break that down for us? What's the difference uh, before we before we head off? Thank you. What has not changed a lot, this is another reason why I love top grading. It's just, it's for some reason, we're not shifting these skills fast enough. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so... A lot of folks out there are still using hypothetical questions or competency-based questions. For example, um, tell me about a time when, what would you do if, do you like being a leader? Do you think that uh, high growth is a great environment for you? Do you like fast-paced growth? So these are all hypothetical questions. We need to chuck those out the window and forget about them. They're not helpful. Very few people know how to assess the responses accurately. And instead, we're asking questions like, so why did you choose to join this the company? And when you think about your three years there, what would you say that you really liked about it? And you get specifics and you get examples. And what did you not enjoy as much about that, that role? And you get specifics and examples. Uh, and in that same period, what would you say was your biggest challenge and your biggest accomplishment? And if and when the time comes and we have a job offer on the table, Will your manager uh, have, you know, be able to take a reference call with us? And if they say yes, great. Now, when I have Bob on the line, 
what will Bob share with me regarding your strengths and any areas to improve back then? So that's the difference. All the questions, and by the way, those are the same questions that we ask over and over and over throughout the career history to get the patterns that help us identify high integrity, high intelligence, high EQ, et cetera. Um, but when when you've got five or six colleagues that are all asking different questions and 99% of the time they're hypothetical, to be honest, you're wasting time because you're not getting good information. So we want to get rid of those hypothetical-based focused interviews and, and really bring it into evidence-based. What was the outcome? How did it go? How long did it take? Notice I'm smiling. It's not an interrogation. Uh, but we want to pull out as much information from the candidate in a friendly way uh, as we can so that we can confirm through examples and specifics and data points, how strategic are they? How innovative are they? Are they creative? Do they have ambition? It's amazing to me, Alex, because 95% of what you need to know to make a great decision is in that top grading interview. It, it's so true. And, and you'll just be amazed at what your candidates will share with you if you'll ask these open-ended reality-based questions and then let them do all the talking. Uh, it's incredible. It does take practice. Um, it is kind of weird at first if you haven't done it before because you don't know what's going to happen. But if you look at the questions, they're really, really simple and straightforward. There's nothing tricky about it. We're just getting really curious and we're listening carefully and we're, we're, we're digging for detail in a very friendly way. So long answer, but hopefully that helped to clarify. <laughs> I think that was great. So glad we were able to end on that note. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, thank you to the community for joining and we'll see you all again next week. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.